0: Hello, and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Do the Shuffle edition. It's Friday, February 5th, and I'm Mariam Ibrahim. I'm a legislature reporter for the Edmonton Journal and your Press Gallery host. I'm joined in our newsroom studio today by health reporter Keith Durine. Hello. Provincial affairs columnist Graham Thompson. Good morning. And reporter Sheila Pratt. Greetings, all. Some of you may already know, today is Sheila's last day with The Journal, and we are thrilled that she could join us for one last Press Gallery podcast. Thank you for
1: having me. (laughs) It's a bittersweet day.
0: Well, we are are very glad to have your uh, very valuable insights. Um, Well, Premier Rachel Notley had a busy week kicking things off with a cabinet shuffle that, as Graham wrote this week, resulted in a cabinet that is so NDP, it's almost a parody. And some of Notley's choices for her new ministers were pretty interesting and, in some cases, made history. We'll explore what that means. Then, expectations were high during a visit from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau as he and the Premier tried to assure Albertans they hear their pain as the economy is struggling. But was it enough? Plus, a look back to the results of last week's royalty review and the resulting backlash the government is hearing. But this time, it's not the usual suspects who are mad. All that and, of course, the usual good stuff from the gallery reporters got wind of news of a cabinet shuffle um, late in the day Monday and it sort of immediately set off speculation that the premier would finally be splitting up all of those double portfolios that so many ministers were carrying um, especially since Alberta had only a 13 person cabinet including the premier sitting around that table so in the end Alberta got six new ministers out of the shuffle and uh, which wasn't really a shuffle I guess and uh, a surprise addition of Health Minister Sarah Hoffman as deputy premier Graham, as we said off the top, you wrote this week that the cabinet is so NDP, it's almost a parody. What did you mean by that?
2: Well, I meant and well, first of all, it's gender parody. we got uh, 10 women, 9 men. Oh, play on
0: words, even. And <laughs> <laughs> we've also
2: got um, uh, the first, as people keep saying, the first openly gay cabinet minister in Alberta, uh, Ricardo Miranda. We also have what I call two openly pregnant women, uh, Brandy Payne. Uh, who's now Associate Minister of Health, and Stephanie McLean, who is Status of Women. Um, and McLean's going to be giving and birth. And she's
0: also Service Alberta. Sorry,
2: Service Alberta as well, but she's going to give birth on Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she was appointed to Cabinet just days before she's going to give birth, and she'll be the first MLA, sitting MLA, to actually give birth while in office. Um, and this was an important, I think. Um, Uh, symbolic move as well for Notley to say that she wants to get women involved in politics and so if you're pregnant that's no barrier to be in politics not only that you could actually be in cabinet on the eve literally basically of giving birth so there was a a lot of uh, symbolic Mm -hmm. moves as well as um, some interesting moves in this uh, shuffle (coughs) we call that. It was the enlargement. I gotta say even though we didn't know the details of this we knew it was coming
0: hmm
2: we knew last year when they first had the announcement of a cabinet 12 members back in May added one in October so it was 13 tiny cabinet and we thought and we were told basically it's an open secret in government they were going to enlarge cabinet sometime this year early in the year it was so small last year really because almost all the MLAs who were elected last year into the government are inexperienced. Yeah. Only four actually have experienced being MLAs. Nobody has experienced being in government. So Notley had a, a pretty shallow pool in which to draw from to get people into cabinet. She wanted to see how they were performing last year, and then gave the high-performing ones uh, a promotion this week.
0: Well, Sheila, then did you did you see anything there that surprised you? That you know, people that were in cabinet that surprised you, or, or people who were left out that you thought deserved to be at that table?
1: You know, I I um. I Like a lot of people, I don't know other MLAs very well. They're all pretty unknown. But So I kind of looked at it, looked at it a bit regionally. I noticed Bob Turner, who was the high-profile Edmonton guy for, you know, first ran against Mandel and then was sort of the giant killer in a way, didn't make it. But I don't read too much into that. He's, you know, he's... Uh, Um, I'm not sure if he had cabinet aspirations, but Mm -hmm. I did notice he was left out. But then she had many other choices to make. And balancing this regional thing in Alberta politics is always critical. So she gave lots of posts to Calgary because she needs to, um, you know, make sure she's uh, got good representation from there. And uh, there's, um, I think, six down there. I think it's about eight up here, but there's a lot of regional people that may be looking at it. Nobody from Red Deer, even though there's two MLAs there, and I don't know those two MLAs, but, um, uh, I think that sort of mid-sized city is pretty critical. She's got, of course, uh, Environment Minister uh, from Lethbridge to represent those smaller cities, but that's pretty far south. And mm. she probably knows she has a rural uh, an urban base she has to play to, but if she wants to calm those troubled waters out in rural Alberta, uh, removing remo- Laurie Secordson was obviously a very good idea and giving that responsibility to someone else. But, uh, you know, I think she, there may be some regional factors she's going to have to address Another shuffle,
0: Keith. What else does she have to consider? I mean, obviously geography there is a factor, but does does her her party's base support come into play here? You know, obviously the NDP doesn't have much of a base down in Calgary. Is that feeding into any of this?
3: Well, I'm sh- I'm sure it is. Um, I mean, obviously one would hope talent and experience are the driving factors in who you pick for cabinet. Uh, that's not always the main factor. Uh, and as Graham mentioned, let's face it, right off the top, there that group of MLAs did not have a lot of government experience, not, not a lot of managerial experience. Uh, maybe some of them have shown some talent in that regard now, and that's why the cabinet is larger. But I think Sheila's right, I think regional uh, diversity is kind of the big player in Alberta politics, always has been. Edmonton gets a bunch of cabinet ministers, Calgary complains and vice versa. Um, and so in this cabinet, the first cabinet that she had, uh, obviously mm-hmm. Calgary has been complaining that they're not well represented. I think this was a move to... To calm those waters in Calgary where they they are gonna have to kind of maintain their their political support they got I think was it 15 MLAs in Calgary so I think they're gonna have to ke- at least keep that or build on it to, to win the next election uh, for me as the health writer I mean I'm particularly interested to see what Brandy Payne is, is what her role is going mm-hmm. to be as the Associate Minister of Health she is from Calgary uh, I was reading today that uh, prior to going into government she owned a yoga business um, so how that plays into what her role is going to be, if she's just going to be kind of the, the Calgary health figure, the face of Calgary Health, uh, then maybe that's her role.
0: Well, and, and what was it? Well, obviously she's going to be the Associate Health Minister. Health yeah. Minister Sarah Hoffman was made Deputy Premier. Graham, let's talk about that a little bit. What's the significance of this role? What, what does a Deputy Premier do?
2: Well, it's interesting. Um, it's a person that fills in from the Premier when the Premier can't do something. It's also very really important symbolically, and normally though, you have the deputy premier from the other major city so the premier's is from Edmonton, deputy premier is from Calgary, this time around we've got the premier of course from Edmonton Rachel Notley and deputy premier Sarah Hoffman is also from Edmonton mm-hmm. I thought that was odd and um... that was a question actually asked of uh, Notley in the news conference kind of danced around it by saying you know that Hoffman's a good minister, a good cabinet minister, very capable absolutely but th- it's, it's a symbolic move here to Calgary, saying to Calgary look we know you're there, you're important to us, we'll give the Deputy Premier's uh, position to somebody from Calgary. It wouldn't be that hard to do. You could, you know, Joe Sisi, for example. Um, It's an important position, symbolically, it's an important position when the Premier's not around, this person's in charge. And and you can see this actually happening though, having said all that, last year during question period, when the premier wasn't there sarah hoffman took the questions mm-hmm. for the premier all mm-hmm. the time and she's very capable good on her feet yeah
0: she certainly sort of proved herself as a very uh, like one of the one of these this government's kind of star ministers she's right. she's very quick on her feet and and you know performs very well i think under pressure too in a lot of ways so that didn't really surprise me i guess that if there was a deputy premier it would be sarah
1: hoffman right. that and was chosen
2: just struck me as odd it would come from Edmonton again, as opposed to Calgary. Calgary well, does can't, take these things very personally.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true, Calgary does. I, I kind of wondered if on the other hand it was because she is very competent, but also a lot of government businesses involving Calgary right now, the whole royalty review, the economic mm. development stuff, a lot of it's being done down there. So maybe it was also just a, a nod to her base up here, which is much stronger than it is in Calgary, and just using that symbolic gesture.
0: Well, speaking of economic development and uh... the the current situation in alberta things have been pretty uh... as people know choppy here in uh, alberta with the oil tanking bad news budget probably on the way and that's what really i think set things set expectations so high uh... for prime minister justin trudeau's visit to alberta this week where he made stops in both edmonton and calgary uh... in an attempt to show albertans and the country that he understands our pain Graham, in the end, the announcement made for our $700 million in, in fast track <coughs> infrastructure funding seemed a, a bit, I don't know, anticlimactic. What, what do you think? Was it enough?
2: Yeah, it was an anticlimax because it wasn't actually an announcement of that money. It was a case where the Trudeau was saying, yes, we're looking, gonna, we'll try and fast track this. It wasn't them saying, today I'm announcing you'll get $700 million next week. This was an announcement really made by also by uh, Sohi. Uh, Amarjeet Sohi, mm-hmm. tr- the infrastructure minister the previous week, had said the very same thing. We're going to try and get you money as quickly as possible. I'll, Alberta and Saskatchewan won $1 billion. Then Trudeau comes. And this is a big deal because prime ministers do not come to Edmonton to meet with premiers in the premiers' offices. Once it's happened, I'm aware of it's 2005 when uh, Paul Martin came But to actually have a prime minister come to the premier's office in the legislature, it just doesn't happen. We were thinking, whoa, what's going to happen today? And then he brings out the sort of old semi announcement from the previous week saying we're going to try and get you help as quickly as possible.
0: Sheila, I mean is it fair to put such high expectations on one visit? I mean they met for an hour, uh, you know, it's not as if they were going to come out and say ta-da, we've got a plan, five-point plan, we've solved it. Like,
1: Yeah, you know I think that's a good question. I think a lot of it was about starting to build a, a warmer, more cooperative relationship which 10 years of the Harper government Tories, we never had such a meeting. Um, there was, there was f- sort of frosty relations for 10 years. Harper wasn't really into federal provincial <laughs> negotiations or contacts. So I think it was sort of setting the table for what's coming and then they went to Calgary because uh, and met with uh, business leaders there because in the next year there's gonna be a lot of difficult negotiations around climate change, issues around those pipelines. I think he was careful not to get political about that. His whole stance has been we've revamped the NEB process I need to step back. We need to let this play out and let, let it be non-partisan um, what happens. So I, I I think it was, I mean, it would have been nice to have specifics and it's going to be starting to be like this refugee thing. Let's get it done, guys. Let's hear mm-hmm. if he's not careful. So so he's better come up with some stuff pretty soon in the next couple of weeks. But as for just starting out a new relationship, I, I thought it was pretty successful.
0: Keith, you've covered the legislature, obviously, for a while. I uh, do you, do you sense sort of like a different tone in the discussion around all these things or higher expectations or, uh, you know, just a different sort of tone in the discourse because it's a, a, a liberal prime minister and an NDP premier?
3: Honestly, not really. I, I mean, it was weird seeing, you know, an NDP premier and a liberal prime minister sitting together and, and smiling at each other. Uh, we haven't seen that in Alberta. So, so that was kind of the novelty of it. But in terms of the tone and the the discussion and the promises, it feels like this is a script that's been played over a long, uh, many, many times before. I I certainly remember um, not necessarily meetings, but certainly um, discourse between uh, Ed Stelmack and and Stephen Harper, uh, meetings probably in Ottawa that they had, and it all seemed very warm and friendly at the beginning. Everyone's new in their position, everyone's happy, excited. Uh, and then it changes, right? The test comes over time, and, and Ed Stelmack's government was more than happy to bash the Harper government when it suited them, right? And, and so I think the federal government becomes a very easy target for for a provincial government anytime the waters get a little rough politically here at home.
0: Hmm. Uh, Graham, I mean, what, what, can, what can Ottawa really do? I mean, if things are so bad here in Alberta, what, what can Ottawa do? What should we be expecting? Yeah,
2: that's a good point, because... You can only spend so much money on in infrastructure. The price of oil is the big problem here. And governments cannot really counterbalance that. The price of oil has gone down to $30 a barrel. It used to be over 100 just you know a year or so ago. Um, this is a major problem for any sort of government. They're losing money. The royalties aren't coming in like they used to come in. Um, Yes, they're limited in what they can do. Is like even 700 million dollars a lot of money, but compared to the drop in revenue in Alberta, it's not that much. And just just to follow up on my colleagues have been talking about, it's very true. Um, what happened this week? We saw a resetting of the relationship between um, Alberta and Ottawa, and that's really important. And just going back to what Keith was saying, um, under the Conservatives federally and the PCs provincially, they did not get along for all kinds of reasons. One especially under Stelmac, because under um, Stelmac, when he's running the PCs, the conservatives federally were actually campaigning for the Wild Rose right. against yes. yeah. Stelmac yes. yep, that's <coughs> right. back in 2008. Mm-hmm. And that really rubbed Stelmac the wrong way. In fact, every year they used to meet both the caucuses, federal and provincial, at the uh, Calgary Stampede right. for yep. a joint caucus. That ended under Stelmac because he just wouldn't go. He was so angry. So it's interesting, yeah, conservatives provincially... Conservatives federally, they couldn't get pipelines built. They couldn't agree. They were constantly fighting politically. Redford actually opened a trade office yeah. in Ottawa to try and get a message to Ottawa, even though almost all the members of Parliament in Alberta are conservatives in the, the federal caucus. And, and
1: how good did, were they doing for it, us? <laughs> it, so,
2: so just to see this relationship actually get really warm, we'll see how it actually uh, plays out between the NDP here and the Liberals in Ottawa. is very interesting.
1: I, I also think just to add to that, that I think she, for Notley, there's a lot in this. If she can get a win at the federal level, something that Alberta needs to get the pipelines going or get you know economic uh, help for the economy, that'll be that's really good that for her, and that'll huge, play very
3: well in Calgary. Absolutely. It's, it's yeah. one
1: of the because th- she's she's got she's not got a hugely solid you know base in this, and, and she be, needs a win.
3: And it could be argued that Justin Trudeau has some you know some vested interest in seeing the NDP government continue in power here rather than allowing the wild rose um,
0: yes Yep. yeah well uh, you were you both sort of mentioned a little bit about pipelines I was sort of I mean what is was anyone else surprised at how little pipelines were actually talked about during that press conference after that meeting I mean it came up obviously but that was mostly through questions I think from reporters who were like hey uh, what about this issue um, I don't know I don't know if that was des- by design or not what do you think
2: Well, I think they couldn't discuss pipelines in the sense that they can't do anything about it right now. It'll be reviewed by the National Energy Board, and um, you know it's not government building the pipelines; it's um, private companies are building the pipelines. And so Trudeau was asked about it. You're right, but Trudeau will not get. He he won't say, "I'm in favor of this Energy East pipeline." He wants the 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 the, um, review to play its course. And you've got a lot of pressure on him from the Wild Rose, provincially Federal Conservatives, saying, you've got to come out and cheerlead. He said, um, cheerleaders don't score goals. So he's saying, just cheerleading isn't going to help. And he wants this process to play out. Because if he came out and said, I want Energy East, then he's tainting the process. And he'll get big blowback from uh, Quebec and Ontario, particularly, saying he is loading the dice. He's saying, let this pipeline process play out. And I think that's what we saw. And you, and you didn't want to, I guess, Notley wouldn't want to embarrass the guy in front of us by saying, you know, give me a commitment. Um, I think she understands the process too. I, and,
1: I th- mm. and I think there's a really interesting game at federal... Of provincial federal politics playing out here too. I mean, she, Notley has got win on side in Ontario. I mean, they've met, and but could air in Quebec is kind of the unknown, and and she's not going to inflame things uh, by saying we want this pipeline, let's get it. I think she's there's a more sophisticated game being played, and and Trudeau is going to be a big factor in that, in helping to get Quebec on side. So I think it's partly a matter of not inflaming this. Um, because how far did did the Redford and the previous government get with BC? Not very far. Yes. Yeah. So
0: it, it's got to be done differently, right? Well, and it's, well, we've got another first ministers meeting coming up, I think, in Vancouver pretty soon. So mm-hmm. I mean, and we didn't, we didn't, we haven't seen those really. So that that's always yeah, interesting. We never
2: saw those. Under, yeah. No, that's um, yeah. going to be interesting. Ne- yeah. Harper never had a first ministers yeah. meeting. We've had at least one so far under Trudeau, and it's more planned.
0: Well, there's no doubt the Premier is seeing opposition mounting when it comes to energy issues. Her government sort of rid itself of the stigma, so to speak, of the Royalty Review last week by announcing the results, saying that, well, Albertans are getting their fair share and we're not really going to be changing things too much. Um, And so now this week we saw a different kind of opposition crop up. And Graham, who was that? Who wasn't happy with the Royalty Review? Yeah,
2: interestingly, it was actually a news conference with uh, Gil McGowan the president of the Alberta Federation of Labor, who came out and said he had his own experts look at the royalties, and he's saying, we are being shortchanged. It's important that we change the royalty system so when the price of oil goes back up, we get more. He's not saying change the system right now, but change it so the sliding scale, when it goes higher, uh, we get more of our share when the price is, is much higher, which is what the NDP has been saying uh, for a long time. Yeah, it's yeah. a very yeah. long time. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, so he was upset with the NDP and had a news conference to say now, I thought actually this actually helped the NDP because it made the NDP all of a sudden look a lot more moderate. Mm-hmm. They're being attacked from the left, um, and even though the AFL has some really, um, to me, legitimate complaints, politically the optics are important, and this makes the NDP government all of a sudden look more moderate because you've got the Wild Rose and the Conservatives saying, well, you know, we told you so, the royalty system is fine, and, and it kind of silenced the, the right wing, and she's being attacked from the left <coughs> wing. So I thought that was interesting, at least politically. The optics I think played well for Notley this week.
0: Uh, Sheila, should we be surprised to to see Gil McGowan, you know, getting yeah. angry at this government? You know, a, a government. You know, it's a party that he ran for federally very recently.
1: Yeah, he's in an interesting position, isn't he? Uh, I I wasn't too surprised that Gil spoke out on this. He's, uh, in fact, in some ways, I was surprised more of those groups did not speak out. That royalty review I think was was a surprise to some of the base and they're not there haven't been a lot of uh, comments except Gills questioning this lack of sliding scale and the re messaging that we are getting our fair share. I mean it was it's in a way it's quite a, a shift. Um, and so um so i'm not surprised at gill he's always been a very kind of independent guy you know in in the handling of the whole tfw temporary foreign workers files he has his own uh, research on this i was surprised actually more uh, uh of the base weren't speaking out on this well
0: why do you think that is i mean is it is it you know the government is in a precarious position and they don't want to sort of heap more opposition onto it? You know, I
1: I think they want to move past the issue. And that's why the very next day she held her Mm -hmm. diversification announcement with Darren Billis. I think she just wants to move on. Let's get, because there's plenty of other things on her plate. And let's just let this discussion go. I
3: I sort of think they might be picking their spots. Like I remember talking to Gil McGowan uh, the day of the announcement that uh, the NDP government was not moving forward immediately with a new Misericordia hospital, which they had railed against, right? That we need a new MIS now, a new MIS now. And mm-hmm. the AFL was a big part of that movement. And I asked Gil, why aren't you more outraged that the NDP isn't moving ahead on this immediately? And he, he really gave them a pass on that one. So it was odd to me that he's now sort of speaking out against them, but I think he's picking his spot. Yes, I mean. that's
1: what I think too. Yeah, yeah I think And he, he just he just, he just couldn't let
3: this one go. This royalty
1: well, one exactly, was too big. Yeah, he had to let it go. That's right. It's been years. I, th- so. I think
2: he's still, he's still a loyalist for the NDP, to, to the yeah, NDP. Yeah. I think people who support the NDP are thinking, okay, fine, they have raised corporate taxes, they are raising the minimum wage, they're doing something on climate change. They're doing a lot of things on other fronts that they promised they would do. And on the royalties, well, price is low, and the companies are complaining. It's interesting. Uh, it's maybe it's human nature. Uh, we saw this happen with uh, Stellmap. When the price of oil is is high, people want a royalty review. Let's raise the royalties. When the price goes down, everyone's saying, "No, don't touch it." Even a sliding scale, which would say, "We're not touching it now, we'll touch it in the future. Stellmap was going to do that. Yeah, He backed down on that because it's human nature. People, even those who I think support the NDP government are thinking, hmm, um, maybe you shouldn't be touching the royalties right now. Mm. Uh, so the price of oil has gone down. If the price of oil right now is $100 a barrel, people would be clamoring right. for Well, it Well, I history. think
1: and it would be harder for the review committee to recommend doing nothing. I know. And, <laughs> and I, that,
2: think, I think she got the advice she was seeking in a way. Or she got the advice that uh, is, is politically practical at this yes. moment. Yes, pragmatic. You can call her a hypocrite. Yeah, in a lot of ways she is. She's also being pragmatic, which means that she's a politician. Yeah.
0: Mm. Well... Keith can can the NDP really maintain then all of those positions that they're that they're that they used to hold I mean and it wasn't that long ago which I think is is unfortunate for the government because people constantly like to throw their words back in their face but can we really expect them to hold all of those positions still
3: no no and of course not. It would be it would be folly to even try and it's very very easy to uh, to be in opposition and mm-hmm. to complain about things and, and it's much much more difficult to be in power and to actually have a look at the books and be responsible for the budget and um, I think you know the world changed when they after they took power, right? The it, the economy was already exactly. in, in bad shape, but it got even worse, right? So that changes plans. But even still, even if the economy was better, I think actually being in power and being responsible for things, um, being in the know, having access to those bureaucrats, and being you know actually having the, the truth spoken to, um, I think that does sort of change your outlook on on how you approach the world. So. I think it was, uh, I, I, and I think the public probably recognizes that, that being in government and being in opposition is a different thing, and I, I, I don't sense that there's this huge outrage that they're not fulfilling everything that they, you know, that they um, uh, were up in opposition to, you know, mm. wha- everything mm-hmm. that they said it, as an
2: opposition. I, I think one of the big issues that coming up will be the budget, the provincial yeah. budget coming out. We're thinking March, they won't commit to a month, never mind a date. Mm. It's a tough one with the price of oil being so low, royalties are down in terms of money they're collecting. Um, So right now, can they maintain their promises to keep government spending, keep government jobs, Um, and will they have to start borrowing more money and get into more debt? Will they have to raise taxes? CC is saying he hasn't looked at more revenue regarding taxes, but there's a lot of pressure on them right now to maybe then start borrowing more money. They're going to get attacked this Upcoming budget is going to be a major hurdle for them.
1: Oh yeah, they couldn't be there at a worse time. I mean, (laughs) they—they're not responsible for falling oil prices, but they just kept going down after they got elected. And I remember Ed Stelmach saying after after that election, despite everything, it's all going to depend on the price of oil. And he's probably right because it's very difficult for any government to run in this kind of you know economic environment. It's always been that way in Alberta. Always been that way. Yeah.
0: Well, some things never change, like the yeah. fact that we go to Good Stuff from the Gallery at the end of every podcast, where our panelists recommend something that they enjoyed reading, listening, or watching, usually, but not always, of a political nature. Graham, what have you got for us this week?
2: It's not actually any particular story. It's more um, an issue to come up. You can go on Google and, and you Google um, <laughs> Climate Change and Harjit Sejan. He's our new um, uh, Minister of Defense, 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 Minister. Defense Minister federally. There are some various articles out there. But he was this week talking about the uh, ISIS and the Syrian civil war, rise of ISIS being tied to climate change. Mm. He got slammed by the opposition, the conservatives, saying, "What are you going to say now that climate change, you know, um, creates?" Um,
0: I've heard this before, though. It, it yeah, is Exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so the conservatives are saying very simplistically, "What are you saying? Climate change will create terrorists?" Well, no. What he is saying is that climate change is driving some really of course, odd weather, droughts in Syria, 2007 to 2010, extreme droughts, created problems, food shortages, people having hard times. That creates political instability. Experts are saying the droughts were severe and likely two to three times more likely now because of climate change.
0: Well, Sheila, what about you? You know,
2: I've,
1: uh, I'm going back to boring old royalty (laughs) review, but there was an interesting piece by a guy named Jim Roy, who's a former senior advisor in the energy department from years ago, and he wrote a piece for the um, interesting and always contentious Taii, discussing what Notley's done. And it's just a kind of different point of view on this, that it's, you know, don't look on royalties as a tax, it's a a different kind of thing, and if you're, you know, reviewing it as a tax for the energy industry, you're not going to quite get it right. So it's an interesting analysis.
0: Hmm. Very good. Keith, what about yourself?
3: Yeah, well, I was on vacation the last couple of weeks, uh, sat on some beaches and by some pools, had a lot of interesting reads. I think the most interesting <laughs> thing <laughs> I read uh, was a novel uh, called Dictator by a, a British author named uh, Robert Harris. And it's, uh, it's a novel, as I said, but it's very, very closely based on the life of Cicero, who was a mm. uh, Roman uh, senator, orator, um, um, politician. In the Roman court, in the in the time of Julius Caesar and Mark Antony, and uh, as a case study in politics for anyone who likes politics, this was this is fascinating, and and it just struck me uh, how little has actually changed in the last two thousand years. There's not as much stabbing, but uh, <laughs> it's awesome. metaphorical stabbing now, not not the, not the, the literal. <laughs> yes,
0: very good. Well, um, mine is also a book. It's one I picked up a while back. Uh, Brian Topps' memoir, uh, how we almost gave the Tories the boot, um, which delves into the famous uh, coalition attempt at the federal level, I think it was 2008. Uh, I read it a while back, forgive me. Uh, anyway, it's a really interesting read. It gives you uh, a really candid look at the sort of behind the scenes back channeling that went on before that all happened and how it all sort of fell apart, obviously from his perspective, but it also gives you a sort of look at Brian Top's political career and uh, and how he sort of began to b- work for for governments. Um, obviously I had a reason to read it, but because he's now Chief of Staff to the Premier. So um, it, it's, it, it's an interesting little insight into the world of politics and how it operates, so I definitely recommend that. Um, and that's it for this edition of the Press Gallery. You can find this episode and an archive of past editions on the website at edmontonjournal.com opinion. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and via TuneIn Radio. Subscribe, and a fresh edition of the Press Gallery will be delivered right to you just as soon as I have it ready. Thank you to Sean Butts, who is our videographer this week, and thank you for listening. I'm Mariam Ibrahim, and we'll be back next week in the Press Gallery.